going to talk today um, a little bit about marriage, and uh, and you can ask you can ask questions, and we'll we'll do the best of that. But they really are great at marriage. And here's here, here's what I love uh, I love about their marriage is that they're really open and really honest um, about them and their process, and they have a unique story. I don't know if any if most of you probably heard their story, but they have a, a really unique story about how they how they got married and the whole, the whole you, how many of you have heard their engagement? How many of you have not heard their Engagement. You all have heard. No, that's not true because people's hands are still going up. So, all right. All right, let's just go and see what happens. Chris. You can start. You want me to ta- start? Sure. Okay. Talk about marriage for a little bit. Okay. So, yeah, you know our story. We met when we were really young and um, uh, 12. Kathy was 12. And. My, I had, we, met at, we met at a lake uh, that Kathy went to every year. My friend took me to, so I forgot something at the lake. We made a good connection there at the lake, and then um, I forgot a coat or something at the lake. And so Kathy ended up figuring out, uh, you know, she knew what city I lived in, so she figured out where, what my address was. And she, she uh, brought, I think it's the coat or whatever I left there. And my mom answered the door, which is really interesting because my mother never liked any of my girlfriends. And, and uh, so my mom answers the door, and her and Kathy talk for a little bit. And, and then, you know, my mom calls me, and we, we make the exchange, and it's all great. And when she, Kathy leaves, my mother says, that's the marrying kind. I said, Mom, she's 12. <laughs> I was 15, you know, 12 to 15, that's a big difference, right? Kathy's not even, uh, Kathy's in like sixth grade or something, seventh grade. So I said, Mom, she's 12. My mom said, I don't care if she's 10. (laughs) That's the marrying kind. So that stuck in my head, you know. It's funny how parents can influence you even when you're trying to pretend they're not. So I always remember that my mother said that she was the marrying kind. So we got engaged uh, the the next year when she was 13 and (laughs) I was 16 and that was that how'd was, that happen huh let's talk about how did, I'm going to interrupt you I know I probably shouldn't but how did that engagement happen well the, I gave her the ring at Christmas oh this year. this is really fun I'll be done talking for the rest of the day now this is the only time you ever see Chris nervous look do you see it a little bit Me? you see it a little bit nervous this is the only no. time all year Chris goes, okay, you do what you want. No, no, <laughs> I'm not the least bit nervous. No, it's crazy. I knew that I was going to get a ring because I had picked the ring out. And Chris, Chris worked forever to be able to afford this ring because it wasn't just a little ring. It was a pretty nice-sized rock there. $1,500 at that time. Yeah, which was, I know, $1,500. All those years ago, 45 years ago. So that was, I mean, he made an investment. He did good. But I did, what I didn't know, I didn't know that he had paid it off. And I didn't know when I was going to get it. So Christmas was run, my birthday came December 8th. And I didn't get my ring. And I was so disappointed because I thought maybe I was going to get it then. But then there was Christmas. So our families are together and I'm opening up this present and it's a huge present. I'm like, there's got to be a ring inside that box. So I'm like 35 boxes later and he wrapped every single one of them and every 
like fifth box, there was some gift inside this box. And one of the things that was inside the box was a can opener. I'm like, what in the world am I going to do with the can opener? I mean, there was a little, you know, cute little trinket things in there. And then there's this can opener. And the very last, the very last present was this can. And I'm like, what So it was world? a box, then a box, then a box, then a he box. He was a, a warehouseman. 35 of them. I worked in a warehouse, so I... And they were all, like, taped really well, so it took a bunch of time to get it in it. It took me, like, half hour, 45 minutes to open this present. <laughs> so then the last thing was a can, and I'm like, you know, the whole time you're unwrapping all these gifts, you think, this is going to be the ring. This is going to be it. And I come to this can. So I'm like, well, I guess that's what the can opener is for. So I'm opening up this can, and inside the can was my ring. And at the time, I had no idea you could have something canned like that. And I it mean, said peaches on it. That's probably old news <laughs> to everybody else now. But back then, that was, a, that was a big thing. So I know. I can't even believe, can't even believe it was 45 years ago. You cried, too. Oh, my gosh. Did I? Time goes by so fast. My mom always used to say, the older you get, the faster it goes by. But I've even talked to you younger ones, and the time is still going by fast. <laughs> but it seems like just like yesterday. It does. It really does. So. Hey, can you turn those lights down right there? I'm, those two. Like, I'm getting a suntan. <laughs> I'm going to wear my Stevie Wonder glasses. This keeps up. Oh, that's better. Thank, Thank you. you. So, so how old are you? When we got Kathy, engaged. Kathy, how old are you? Yeah, when, you got, when you opened all those boxes, how old were you? 13. And I was 16. All right, so here's the question. <laughs> you talk about going around parading in eighth grade. With a ring on your finger, it's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, so how, how'd that go over? With me? Awesome. With, with, your, with your parents or? Our parents were good. Great. Which was the problem. I mean, yeah. that should have never happened. Both our parents, you know, our families were, my family, obviously, you've heard my stories. My family was completely dysfunctional. And her family was dysfunctional in a totally different way. So that should have never happened. Well, put it this way. My dad ran away from home in Kansas, Oklahoma area, jumped on a boxcar, you know, like a freight, like a train, like a hobo. In fact, he tells stories of being with these guys lighting fires in boxcars. Rode across the states until he ended up in California and somehow met my grandparents. And that's where that started. I think my mom was 11. So it... You know, it, it, dysfunctional. It was a bad plan. It was bad. So looking back, you would have done it slightly different. <laughs> yeah. What, can I ask what would have been different? Because we want to learn. This is our goal, right, is to learn well, what would have been I different. Well, I mean, you know what, kids, uh, you know, kids shouldn't be engaged at 12, 13, 14 years old in our shouldn't culture. Shouldn't be dating at 12, yeah. 13, 14. And then on top of that, you know, we had no supervision. And I had a car, I had a motorcycle at 15, which we rode all the time, so I mean total freedom. And then, and then a year later, I got a car. So I always I've worked full time since I was 13, and went to school. So, you know, we, I had money. So we had money. We had a car. We had freedom, and our parents were basically not present. So you know, we had no infrastructure around us. We had no purity plan. We had no accountability. We had you know we weren't we weren't we found Jesus together when, when I was 18. So. Kathy would have been uh, 15. So, I mean, you know, just think about 
I mean, just someone just throws you in the deep end of the pool and you just figure it out and work it out. So yeah, it wasn't. It was a. We had a. You know, we had a wonderful time and we were pretty responsible. But you, when you have no accountability in your life and you're, you know, you're 13 and 16. I mean, that's just a really bad plan. So you know, my, I mean, obviously God was in the middle of it somewhere, and we found Jesus together at 18 and and 15, and that you know that started us on a whole new path. And that was beautiful. And we, we had a mentor. I've told the story about having a mentor. Uh, who, who do you want to be your father? So that guy, and then later his wife, they got married. Art Kipperman, the guy who was my father, got married a year later. And so and his wife was named Kathy too. So the two of them mentored us. And finally we had some accountability and some, um, <laughs> somebody to actually like, give us a clue of how we should be leading our life. So, you know, then it was, you know, it was changing four years of bad habits, three years of bad habits, you know, and, and three years of no accountability and trying to create a purity plan for people who are already having sex. And it's just, this wasn't a good, it wasn't a good way to start, you know. And, you know, the miracle, it's really a miracle that we, that we have, uh, not to stay together. I mean, it's a miracle we have a wonderful marriage. And we've always had a wonderful marriage. We've never had, I don't think we've ever fought We've never had a day of fighting. We've had a couple hours. I don't mean our marriage has been perfect. I mean, we just, like, we work it out. And probably 90% of that, honestly, is because Kathy doesn't like to fight. You know, she's we a peacemaker. We all that. Yeah. yeah. So Kathy doesn't like to fight. And I grew up in a house where they screamed and yelled and hollered and threw things and cussed at each other and just did outrageous things to one another. So one thing, one thing that we did when we got married, which I thought was a good thing, we, the year before we got married, we were sitting down. Now we're like, okay, really serious. We, we're actually going to get married. And, you know, it's like it's been going on for a long time. We actually have a date, set up date, worked it out with her, her parents, my parents, and have a date. And I remember sitting together, and I said to her, she probably remember this, I said, I want to marry you under one, cert, under one agreement, that we make one agreement, and that is that we will never have a disagreement. Now, you know, in my young brain, I'm thinking disagreement, like yelling, screaming, hollering. I connected disagreement with being totally an idiot. So she's like, that's great. So we went for the first year, and we had, we literally had no, when I say argument, we, we had no disagreement. Yeah, but we didn't, even, we didn't even have any really disagreements when we were dating either. No, but I'm saying that kind of became, in a weird way, a curse, because... You know, as time went on, and you, you know, when you're living with someone, basically you're together 18, actually we worked together too, so we were actually together 24 hours a day for the first 20 years. It's, you know, and when then we started business together, and she ran one part of the business and I ran the other, so how do you not have disagreements? I mean, there's just no possible way that two thinking people can be in the room and not have disagreements. So, you know, we're, I've, so for a long time, so for the first couple of years, it was kind of strange because it's like we just didn't talk about things. And like you guys can probably figure out, for me, that doesn't work at all. Like I had put myself under a, a vow that I couldn't actually live up to because I, I externally process. So when I have a problem, I actually need to talk to you about it. You know, Bill, you got to hear Bill. Um, Bill's an interesting person because Bill likes to work things out internally. So when he has a problem with somebody... I'd say 90% of the time, or maybe the percentage isn't right, but the highest percentage of the time, he just works it out with God, and he's like, I'm good with them. Like, that never works for me. 
just like when Gabe said, you know, you left my house not clean. I get on the phone, like, as soon as I walk in the house, I'm like, what the crap, man? So I text him, like, you ever want to use my house again? You leave it clean. That's how, that's the kind of, that's what I have. Like, there's nobody on my team that doesn't know what I'm thinking. That's true. It's true. And yeah. I and I do the same. Like, you do that with me, too, even though you don't yeah, say Yeah, we're, we're free so to communicate, yeah. I'm saying, like, that's how I do relationship. You want a relationship with me? I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking. And by the way, I expect you to do the same. And if you tell someone else what you're thinking without telling me, that isn't going to work for me. That's, that's how I work. That's just, that's just me. So, you know, I wasn't doing well, like, we're not talking about this. So, you know, after a while, we finally... And then Kathy doesn't like conflict at all. Like, she's done much better in the last... Since we've owned businesses, you, you, have, to, you have to do conflict if you're going to have a business. You have to tell your employees what you're thinking. You have to make corrections. So she's really grown in that area, but the first five years was really hard, so... I, we would sit in, I'd, I'd say, sit in this chair. You don't leave that chair until you tell me what you're really thinking. And she would just break into tears. Ooh. I'm just like, you don't have to cry. Just tell me what you're thinking. <laughs> this doesn't need to be painful. Like, I just want to know what you're thinking. She's like, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I'm like, hurt me. I, I'm, like, I, like, I'm not a guy that dishes it out and can't take it. Like, you, 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 I dish it out, and I can take it. Like, you tell me what you're thinking. Because I can't figure out what you're thinking. It was when, when I was growing up, you know, it, it's amazing how your young years affect your older years, you know, affect your personality when you're, when you're older. And in, in my home growing up, it was a little dysfunctional in that my dad was always gone, always gone. And my mom pretty much raised, she was like the mom and the dad that raised my sister and I. And in our home growing up, my mom was pretty much a yes ma'am person. And she, my dad wasn't around very much, so she just never wanted to rock the boat and wanted to please him all the time. And I think I got kind of a warped view of what marriage was supposed to be like. You know, it's not my personality to be, to be a real extroverted person. And I'm way more wired like Bill is. And so for me to have overcome that was, it was a real challenge and it was a lot of work. And Chris is right. I never would say, you know, we could have a disagreement about something and he would never know because I would never voice it. And so whatever he wanted, I was always trying to make happen, whether I agreed with it or not. And it's actually, it actually was, um, it was not a good plan. It was not, I don't suggest that for anybody. And I really felt like, it was the right thing to do, but looking back now, I, I think that was not that was not a healthy relationship because it wasn't a wasn't a dialogue. It wasn't a relationship back and forth. It was just a almost kind of a slave and master. And I say that not in a degrading way because it had nothing to do with him, but it had everything to do with me. And it was because I wasn't opening up. I wasn't communicating, even though he would do everything in his power to try to pull things out of me. I was just like the That's how I got to be down. really prophetic. I had to use a Jedi mind trick on it all the time. I was like, I was so shut. I was so shut down. So I think it, you know, the, the change in me really did happen when we started having our businesses because all of a sudden it was like, I have to communicate with you and I have to let you know what I'm talking about. And that was a skill that was really, I think, really difficult yeah. for me. So to, she would say when we had, a, when she'd have a problem with an employee, and she'd say, "Da da da." I'd say, "Have you talked to them?" No. 
I'm saying, well, go talk to them. Well, I'm like, go talk to them. So she figured out after a while that, you know, you could actually have a dialogue with somebody and they actually would make adjustments, mm-hmm. especially when they're your employee. You know, if they want to keep the job, they'll make an adjustment, right? I want, to, I want to get to some of the stuff that you said, but take me through the timeline. So we, we know the story. You got engaged. You're very young. When did you get married? How? I was uh, 20, and she was 17. 17 when we got married. And then, so, so we got married. I was managing a, a shop. She was the secretary. Actually, when we got married, she was going to go to school to be a nurse, and to a doctor, and she couldn't get into the, you want to start with nursing and then go into the doctor program. She couldn't get into the program. So she, so she ends up being our bookkeeper at our shop, which was awesome. We got to be together all the time, which we just, we just really like to be together to this day. Like, we really like to be together. So it was really cool. But after about, I don't know, we were like six months married or eight. I don't remember. It wasn't very long. She's like, I want to have a baby. I'm like, oh, no, oh, no, 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 I want to practice, but I don't want to actually have a baby. He didn't want, he didn't want to have any kids. I didn't want kids. to have children. He didn't, yeah. You wanted no kids. None, no, I mean, marriage. because of, you know, I came out of such a broken home. I'm like, no, no, I don't want to do that. And so then, so we got talking and she's like, well, no, we have to have at least one child. I'm like, well, I can't imagine having one child. I don't want to have one child. I want to have, you know want to have some. If we're going to have one, then I'm going to have some. So she kind got... Kind of like horses. Can't you know, have one. you got to have that. some. Some. No, it, it's not related in, in any way, actually. No, it's, not, it's not even in the same country. Oh, what does Dreamer come? He comes in, he goes like this. No, no, stop. Stop. Like, stop. Hands over your shoulder Stop. and goes like that. This is not a horse clinic. We're talking about life. Not the frickin' horses. So, yeah, so... I forget what we were talking about. Oh, so she wanted to have kids, so... Stop! So she got pregnant. How how long were you married when you got pregnant? Um, um, eight months. Eight months. So then it you know it takes nine months to like actually kids. assemble one. So it, it's like eighteen months after we were married, something like that. Twenty months we had our first child, and uh, and that was very that was very exciting and interesting. And, and the same, the, the month before we had a child, I had a nervous breakdown, so that was always fun, too. I mean, you know, if you're going to have a crisis, just, you know, have one. <laughs> so, you want to say anything about that? Nope. Are you mad? Nope. Okay. <laughs> so, so, we had a baby, and, uh, we, and, and, I, and I literally did not joking, had a nervous breakdown that lasted three and a half years, and we had went on our honeymoon, we went to Weaverville, actually went to Lewiston, which is next to Weaverville, for our honeymoon, so when I crashed, um, you know, I was still work. I worked every day, I didn't miss any work, you know, we, we, I'd come home at night, and I was so, I mean, I was, I was shook like this, horribly, 
and couldn't sleep, you know, sweat the bed wet at night. I mean, she would change the sheets in the middle of the night. It was, it was horrible. And she had a little baby. We had a little baby, which was, you know, it was just, it was, I mean, it was kind of the best and worst of times. And so we, um, you know, we, we were just talking every night, like, what could we do? We went to see, you know, I went to see my family doctor. And, of course, in those days, they just gave you tranquilizers. So, you know, they didn't have antidepressant medication. They just gave you tranquilizers. So I took those for about a week, and I'm like, oh, man, I feel like a, I can't do that. I feel like a zombie, you know. It was like Valium, you know, if you ever take anything like that. So I'm just like, I'm walking around like a zombie. Like, no, no, I'd rather be nervous than have that happen. So we, we were just talking one night, and we just decided... And I really, we did, we really were praying into it too. And I, you know, and we said, where, where does the birds fly slow, the grass grows slow? Like, where's, because we were living in the Bay Area, you know, super fast. I mean, everything was, everybody moved fast. Everybody was working. And we were doing 60 to 70 hours a week working. It was crazy. And a baby. And just, it was like, okay, we need to find some place where, and we had been talking at, when we were, going, when we were dating and when we got engaged, we, I mean, our goal was someday to live the little house on the prairie dream. We wanted to have a little house in the woods. I mean, so we, you know, I mean, we were kids. We were, we we're talking about like we were 16, 17 years old, talking about living in the mountains someday on a farm. And so when I crashed, you know, we were like, you know what? We went to Weaverville. Let's let's move to Weaverville, to Lewiston, actually. So, I mean, just immediately, I went in and told my boss. I said, hey, um, we're moving. He's like, you're moving. I'm like, yeah, we're moving. He's like, well, you, you're quitting then. I'm like, yeah, I would have to do that to actually move. So we put up our house for sale the next day. It sold three times in a day. We made $20,000 on it. At that time, you know, think of it. It's probably like about 60 now. And my boss, so I walk in like three days later. So I sold my house. It's in escrow. My boss comes in and he goes, I'm moving too. I said, what? He goes, yep, I'm selling my business and I'm moving with you. If you're moving, I'm moving. I'm like, you're crazy. So he opened a repair shop in Weaverville. We moved to Lewiston, a town of 900 people. And, and I bought the house without her seeing it. Oh, my goodness. Ah. Oh, get this, get this. So he tells me about this house. He says, oh, it's an awesome farmhouse. And it butts up against the back of a mountain, green grass everywhere. Gals, what would you think? This is, he did good. Well, we get to the house. We get to the house, we're like the Beverly Hillbillies. We had, we had this cat that I was taking over to my girlfriend's house because she was pregnant, or no, she had just given birth, given birth to these kittens. And she jumped out of the back of an enclosed cab, busted out the window, and now I'm stuck with these six kittens that are like two days old. We're, with so the baby. With the baby, and Chris and I in this U-Haul truck. Two U-Hauls. Coming up to Weaver, to Lewiston. So we get there at about, it was probably about, what, four in the morning? We finally yeah. get to the house, and I can't really see much, and we have these sleeping bags we just kind of throw out on the floor. Okay, so no I bought furniture. the house with people living in it, so I never actually saw the inside He's of the house. He's trying to apologize right no, now. No, no. <laughs> well, yes, but No. So I bought this house. The place was packed with furniture. Old people lived in it. They were like, I don't know. They looked to be 90, but I think they're like 60. And yeah, and they had furniture in every single corner stacked up on top of one another. So you couldn't see the walls. 
You couldn't see anything. And the house was a killer deal. Like, I paid $32,000 for the house. That was the only great thing about yeah. the house. And it, <laughs> and it was on an acre of property. The property yeah. was beautiful. And the grass was green. Yeah. It wasn't sure. brown. Kind of. That was about the extent of this house. We get up in the morning. There's spiders we're crawling laying, we're on sleeping me. On, so we're, the house, when we get there, all the furniture's gone. It's totally dark. We can't see anything. And we, we, we're sleeping in sleeping bags on the floor. Spiders crawling all over me. And Jamie was only four months old when we moved. She is on the ground with us. I am fit to be tied. We had an argument that day. We did. I, I actually couldn't remember believe, that. I could not believe that he bought this house. And I'm a really optimistic person. I try to find the good in everything. And I was still, to this day, trying to find the good in that house. <laughs> the first thing we did was we ripped the carpet out. You know how most of the time you can rip carpet out and it kind of rolls, or you can kind of roll it up? This broke. And, and we shoveled and we out shoveled literally about, dirt. well, on different places, but it was about a quarter inch to an inch deep of dirt everywhere. It was, it was horrible. So, so we live in this house, right? We've been, we're city people. So uh, we, we meet the next door neighbor. We have an acre of property. It's actually really beautiful where we live. It was. So our, our next door neighbor, is a, uh, he's an ex-Vietnam vet, right? And yeah. he's got post-traumatic stress syndrome. And he's got long hair, and he's like six foot four or five. Big guy. Looks really, like a lumberjack. Looks like, like you'd see a mountain man. Yeah. And his, and his hippie wife. And they're two kids, right? Yeah. So, we're, so, one, so we're, we move in in the summer, and the first, uh, first winter day, it snows, like, about a foot or two in the winter. And, like, we're freaking freezing. Like, I keep turning the thermostat up, and nothing happens. So finally, my neighbor comes over, and he knocks on the door, and he's like, hey, he calls me Flatlander. Hey, Flatlander. You know, I've known him two months. I'm like, three months. I'm like, yeah. He goes, I don't see any... Wood, I don't see any steam, com uh, smoke coming out of your chimney. Are, how are you guys heating your house? I'm like, I don't know. I keep turning the thermostat. Oh, you can see your breath in the house. That's another problem. The house was never had any insulation. So he goes, I said, I turned the thermostat up and nothing happens. <laughs> and he just thinks that's so funny. He goes, that thermostat's just for flatlanders. There's no heater. This house only has wood heat. I'm like, wood heat? You have to heat with wood? He's like, oh, he thinks it's hilarious. <laughs> so we go up in the mountains, cut down a tree, cut it all up. He shows me how to start a fire, and there we go. It was crazy. Oh, yeah. We got thrown into the deep end of the little house on the prairie. We figured out how they, why, you know, why they don't stay on the prairie, you know? Woke up one morning, and my dogs looked like they had gotten shot by pygmies. They had quills all in their mouth, Both down dogs. their throat. We had an Irish setter and a German shepherd. Two different dogs. Two different dogs, and they had bit a porcupine. My shepherd rolled on the porcupine. My setter bit the porcupine. He's at work. I'm crying. have no idea. He's trying to pull these things out, and his lip is coming out to here. They won't come out. And, and he opens his mouth. And they're and he's all down his throat. Inside his mouth. Yeah, he did that how many times? Five times? Oh, bunches of times. Five times. Like, stupid dog. <laughs> stupid dog. 
We had run-ins with skunks. We had run-ins with bear. Yeah. And we didn't have any idea what to do. It was, it was crazy. A bat. Remember the bat? Oh, then we had bats in our house. So we call the, you know, like, who do you call? Like, and, you know, in the city, you're like, hey, I got bats in my house. You know, and somebody comes and does something. But we, we call the county guy. We're like, we got bats in our house. They're like, yes. <laughs> Come and do something about the freaking bats, man. He's like, you have a tennis racket? I'm like, yeah. He goes, okay, well, that's all you need. <laughs> what do I do with the tennis racket? He's like, you just hit him. <laughs> just kill the bats. <laughs> so we did. So we, I don't know another. how many bats we killed, 20 bats or something over the, just like, you know, I'm like, oh, there's a bird in the house. I'm like, oh, it's a bat. And then when you hit them, they go, wait. And I'm like, that's how you know you got them. That house in Lewiston had old screens. There's no air conditioning in it either. And it was like 117 that year and I was pregnant. Oh gosh, it was terrible. It had these old screens and they weren't flat. They kind of went like this. And so then we would put, at nighttime, to try to cool the house down, we'd put fans inside the window until, you know, sucking the cold air from outside into the hot house until we figured out that it was sucking in these pine beetles. We woke up in the morning to all these bugs in our bed because it had blown. I know. You're, oh. Yeah. How long did you guys stay in Lewiston? Uh, two years. A year and a half. Yeah, a year yeah. and a half or two years. No, it was probably, it was more like two years. Two, yeah, probably two years. Then you moved to Weaverville. Yep. Yeah, we would go, we were so broke. When we moved there, we had money. You know, we had two new cars, a brand new house. We made a lot of money. We both worked. But, um, but soon, we spent all the money, you know, remodeling our house. So soon we ran out of money. So we'd go fishing in the morning. Before I go to work, we'd go down to the river, which is just like from here to the parking lot. And we'd go fishing in the morning, catch fish, and that's what we'd eat for the week. And then we had ducks and chickens, and then the ducks, my kids grew up on duck eggs, so we had eggs and fish. Yeah, things were just a little tight. All right, let me, let me get to some of these questions. Okay. They were asking, then we'll talk more about your life, because it's awesome. <laughs> um, you talked about disagreements. Uh, here's one of the student questions. Some people say that having disagreements early in a relationship is a red flag, and other people say that not having them is a red flag. What do you, what do you think about that? I think it depends on what kind of disagreement you have. You know, we had disagreements about, you know, um, well, we'd have disagreements about, you know, stupid stuff. When you have disagreements about, is there a God? Should we serve him? Like, that's alarming. You have disagreements about, you know, those kind of things. I'm saying, like, when you don't see life the same way, you don't serve, you, you both don't want to serve God, yeah, that's a pretty big deal. You have a, maybe two very different ideas about who God is. That's a pretty big deal. Um, most things, you know, most things, I think, <clears throat> having disagreements just means that two people are thinking. But the kind of disagreements that you have can be alarming. You know, I, I've done lots of marriage counseling, lots of pre-marriage counseling. And, you know, when people are, when, when they're disagreeing about certain things, I'm like, whoa, this is not, yeah, I don't know how you're going to rectify this because this has to be rectified before you get married. So, um, you know, and things that, like, you know, should we have kids? I think you're, you know, obviously in our case, in lots of people's cases, your opinions change with time. 
But I mean, if one person truly never wants to have kids and the other person truly wants to have a family, that's a pretty big disagreement. Like that's, you know, that's pretty huge. So I, I, think, there, I think the disagreement in, in, in itself is a healthy thing. What you disagree over, that's a pretty big deal. And then how you disagree, obviously, and I'm sure maybe Bill talked about it, Danny Silk stuff, but like how you work out your disagreements is pretty huge. Because we have always, you know, Kathy talked to you, um, just said a few minutes ago about, uh, you know, it was, she felt like she was kind of a slave-master relationship, not because that's the way I wanted it, but because that's the way she, her quiet personality. But, you know, she can tell you, like, I've never been good with that. Like, before, I mean, when I met Bill and Benny, that really helped me to understand what I was already feeling. I did not want, I had a very strong mom. You know, my mom was the, probably the most dominant person in my, in my family. My stepdads, they were crazy, but my mom actually ran the home. So I grew up like, hey, mom makes the decisions. I didn't want that, but I always wanted us to make decisions together. So, like, I'm totally, I've always been good with, like, let's, you know, you rule part of the kingdom, I rule part of the kingdom. The part of the kingdom I'm good at, like, I rule, I, you know, rule, you know what I'm saying. I make the final decision, but you influence it. The part of the kingdom you're good at, you make the final decision, and I influence it. And that's how we've lived our whole life. So, you know, I think that disagreements are, they're great. It means there's two people thinking how you come to the conclusions, what you do when you can't come to it, when you come to an impasse, I think all families should have accountability. You know, Kathy and I have always had accountability you know, from, from the day we, before we got married. So, you know, if we had a struggle, we couldn't work it out. Art Kipperman sat with us in our early days before we got married, sat with us several times and, you know, would, would talk us through what it could look like and, and, and helped us to, and he was invited in to speak into our lives. And after that was Bill Derryberry, who still speaks into our life. And then, obviously, the Johnsons. So we've always had someone speak into our life. And, you know, several times when we were, like, we couldn't come to an agreement. Like, we weren't arguing or screaming at each other. It's like, we just didn't agree on, like, one time we, uh, we had a, dis- a pretty big disagreement on how to handle our um, adopted son. How, how do we handle him? Like, how quickly do we integrate him into the, if you will, the family culture and the family rules? And does he have to keep the family rules? And does he, you know... Like, how quick do we integrate him? And so, you know, we, we couldn't work that out, and we sat with Bill, and he really gave us really good wisdom, and because we both respected him, you know. So, I know, long answer. You want to speak into that? Please feel free. Oh, I just think that the biggest thing is just to make sure that each person is being heard. Yeah. Um, I think it's really easy to, um, especially depending upon your personality types, for one person to kind of take over something, and the other person feeling like they weren't ever heard. Or never had the opportunity. So I think, you know, I, I've always been fine as long as I felt like I've, I've been heard. He may not agree with me, and we may agree to disagree, which is totally fine, too. But the fact that I feel like, no, I've been, I've been heard. And, and he, valued. And valued. Yeah. Well, I'm saying you, yeah. feel, you feel heard, and you feel like you're, even though we may have not agreed, that your opinion was really mm-hmm. I- impactful. Like, I, I, you know, it sound, like you probably don't know this about me because of the way I come across. I really like to please my wife. Mm. Like, I don't like that I make a decision that she doesn't agree with. Mm. We, we do it. Sometimes, sometimes she, she makes a decision I don't agree with. I'm saying at some point you have to make a decision. Mm-hmm. 
I don't like that. I don't like to make a decision we're not on the same page. Sometimes life requires that, but I don't like to live like that. So. But what we don't ever do, which is great, is we never say, I told you so. So I could, you know, we could be in a discussion and we could, he could not agree with me, but yet he says, but I trust you in this area. So I had the final say on it. And let's say it, it went south. He would ne- he'd never come and he'd say, mm. I told you we, should ne- we shouldn't have done this. This was a bad decision. He would never, ever, ever do that. No, we make a decision. If I make it or she makes it, it's, 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 we made it yeah. together. And, and if it goes wrong, which, how many know, you make lots of decisions in life, you know? You literally make hundreds of decisions a week, right? Just little things. Well, how many know things are going to go wrong? They don't always work out. Life is not that safe, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you just, you just work it out and move forward. Yeah. Let me ask a couple of follow-up questions. Yeah. One of the students asked, when, when you say uh, you shouldn't, uh, about the disagreement thing, uh, should you say disagreement on politics is a make-it-or-break-it disagreement? No. No? I mean, it would be if you're in politics. Let me just be clear. If you're a politician, I'll just exaggerate. You're a Democrat, and, you're, and your wife's you know, an extreme conservative Republican, and you're actually running for office. Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be in the, your life every day. That's going to be a, That's going to be a problem. But I mean, you know, disagreeing over political issues, and no, that's not an issue. What are the big ones? What's that? What are the big ones? The big disagreements, make it or break it. Well, I think that things that actually affect your daily life that you can't, that you see the world so differently that you actually, you're, you're not just opposed. You're like, like I, I don't know that I could live like that. So, you know, I think, you know, having children, the way you raise children is a pretty big deal. Um, you know, uh, issues around God are, are really important. Obviously, if you're serving God, it's really important. Moral issues. Moral issues. Um, sex, sex is a big issue. Obviously, how um, in marriage, it's the one, uh, it's the one thing that you do w- with only one person. So, I mean, it's pretty important that that works out, and it, it, you do have to work that out. It's like, what's okay in your sex life? Um, it has to be agreeable. Um, you know that uh, how frequently you have sex. <coughs> uh, you know those things, especially when you're younger, as a younger couple. Um, those are big deals, and typically, and I'm, I'm, I know I'm stereotyping a little bit, but it's, it's, it's very true. Most of the time, you know, after a year of marriage, a man's sex drives typically two or three times that of a woman's. And so, you know, if, a, if your wife's sex drive is a three and yours is a ten, how you make up that seven needs to be negotiated. Like, what you do, like, not talking about it is a really bad plan. So, you know, so there, there needs to not be shame in the marriage. So, so you know, if, if, we, if we do something to make up that seven, in other words, my wife wants to have sex once a week, and I'm like, I want to, I want to have sex every day. Okay, we probably need to work through that. That's a big issue. And by the way, number one reason why people get divorced is sexual incompatibility. Really huge issue. So, um, you know, and then people come into marriage. I'm just trying to be totally open with you. People come into marriage having looked at porn, and they watch what porn stars do, and they try to bring those acts into their marriage. And, and I don't, you know, just for those of you that aren't married, like, that, that never works. Like, that's an act. 
that, and part of, part, part of the problem with porn is it creates unrealistic expectations on your mate, typically on the woman. So like, you know, you, you watch people do the craziest stuff in porn. I, I, I you know, actually didn't have a big porn problem. I mean, as a, as a, you know, I looked at Playboy magazines when I was a teenager. I mean, I think that's been the extent of it. Looked at, at some stuff on the internet a few times. It's not been a struggle with me, but I've seen enough to know like, yeah, that's not real. That won't work in a real marriage. And so if you're, you know, if you're masturbating to, and I won't mention acts, but if you're masturbating to something you've seen on porn, and then you come into real life, and it's like, you know, it's like what you're doing in real life is down here. It's like that, that's going to be, how you work through that's a really big deal. It's one of the reasons why porn's so destructive. And so, so sex is a really big thing, obviously, especially when you're younger, you know, when you're, in your, when you're in your 20s, 30s, and 40s. Really huge deal, how you work that out. And then, you know, the other thing is, um, you know, the, way, the reasons why people have sex, for instance, typically, and I'm still saying, typically, it's, you know, this isn't 100%, but typically, when men are stressed, they won't have sex. When women are stressed, they don't want anything to do with sex. So when you go through life, and you have a stressful situation, men tend to relieve their stress with sex. Women have no sex drive, typically, when they're stressed. Well, think about that. In some of the toughest times in your life, it's affecting your intimacy. So you, you have to work through those things. And it, you know, what, one, of the, one of the challenges is that people typically don't talk about sexuality. I'm talking about married couples don't actually talk about it. So when my staff... You know, I've been through so many, I've watched so many people fall since I've been at Bethel. I've watched so many ministers fall. <laughs> Ridiculous. So when I have somebody that I personally, um, that, I, that personally works for me, and they're married, they're going to talk to me about their sex life. Yeah. No, that is true. And I so, want to know. FYI. Yeah. No, not not in a in a funny way, but I'll, no, no. I'll I mean I'll go in to Chris for for a you know a quick question, and on the way out he'll go, hey, how's your sex life? Is, are you okay? How are you and Leah doing? Are you are you guys good? And you know, and it the first time it was like, oh, oh, that's are we talking about that right now? That's what we're talking about. <laughs> and now it's 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 a bit normal at some yeah. level where I go, no, I'm I'm free to tell Chris. It it's kind of weird, but you know he's a father in my life, so just in, in relationships we're talking about marriage, but also mothers and fathers. I'm able to go, man, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's been great. And go, oh, yeah, it's been, it's been pretty weak, and I'm, I, was, I was pretty bummed, but here's the reason why. And actually talked about that, and, it, you know, and, and we're working that out. So, so funny. You know, when you get a husband and wife in, you know, on my couch, and I go, so how's your guys' sex life? And they look at each other instead of answering. What does that tell me? It tells me they don't talk about it. He doesn't know what she thinks, and she doesn't know what he thinks. That right there is so telling. I'm like... Before they say anything, I already know there's a problem. You know why? Because if you don't talk about one of the most important areas in your life, then there's something not right. So he'll go, I think it's good. And yeah. they get that look. Yeah, they like, get that look. Like, okay. And, what, and I always say, like, does one of you have a greater sex drive than the other? Always. I've never seen two people in my office say No. Never, not one time. In hundreds of people I've 
counseled. They always go, oh, yeah. I go, what do you do about that? And if they don't, if they don't immediately go, oh, this is what we do. We talk through it, da-da-da. I go, oh, you don't have to actually have a plan, do you? No. Oh, so how's that working out for you? Well, I, I walk around mad a lot. Yeah, I bet you do. I bet you do. Because she's your only outlet to take care of. She, in all the problems you have in life, most time you can have someone else meet most of those needs, right? I mean, legitimately, you can go outside of your home and if you need counseling, your kids need help. I mean, you can go get it someplace else, right? But your sex, sex only happens one place with one person. If that isn't working, you can't go someplace else and get that fixed. So that's a big deal. What we do about it, how we, what we agree, if frequency is important, what we do in, in sex, the actual act of sex, um, you know, what we do about birth control is huge, it, birth control or no birth control. Let me ask you a question about, about mm-hmm. sex in, in the context of marriage. Um, how would you recommend, because we, obviously we, we pastor people, all of us do in this, you know, in this room, we deal with a lot of, a lot of people, and all of you are in different phases of life, you know? Um, how would you recommend somebody who's, who is married, um, if they're having difficulty communicating, what would you say are the first steps to actually really begin to open up with each other and talking about it, or bringing someone in that, that can talk about it? And then when do you recommend couples that are, that are dating or engaged start communicating about sex? Well, okay. You should start communicating about sex when you're dating somebody. You should, obviously, it, yeah, I, I'm saying, you know, we talked about this part early on with you guys in first year. It's like, if you are going out with somebody at some point early on, I don't know what early on could be. The first date, it could be the fifth date. I mean, when things are, like, looking a little bit like we're going to be alone, we should have talk about the fact that we are dedicated to a purity plan. So, I mean, we're not talking about all our sexual adventures we've ever had in the past and Jesus forgave us for them. We're not talking about any of those things, but we are saying at this point, hey, I actually want to be a virgin when I get married and I need you to, to be on that same page. And if you're not willing to, then I, you know, we're not going to date. You know, it's that simple. But when we start moving towards marriage, if you've had other sexual partners... And even though you were a born-again virgin, like literally I received Jesus, he cleansed me from that, I still want to know. I, st- I, I mean, I'm, now I'm saying, we're going to get engaged. Hey, before we get engaged, you probably need to know this. Hey, I've had five sexual partners, or I've had 50, or I've had 100. And okay, okay. I've asked Jesus to forgive me. He's cleansed me. I've, you know, I've, I've kept, you know, da-da-da. I mean, whatever the truth is, I want to know that. Like, I, I, this is the one area that you and I will share. I, I need to know exactly what happened. Now, do I need to tell you about all my partners? No, but if my friend is one of your partners, I probably need to know about that. Because your friend walks in my house and you've had sex with him before and you guys you know, have some kind of connect. Like, yeah, I mean, yes, I, I probably need to know about that. Does that make sense? I mean, just think about it practically. Like, yeah, I wouldn't want you and your friend to know something that I don't know about your intimate life. So, so those kind of things are important. Um, the second part of the question, do you want to speak into that at all? No. The second how, part of the how question. How about before you get, is there, is there a room or a place to talk about that before you actually get married about expectations and frequency? 
Well, it, it, you, you won't, if you've never been married before, you're going to think you're going to be horny all the time. I mean, almost everybody does. Almost everybody thinks that. And it just isn't, I mean, maybe for the first year, uh, you know, typically if a woman gets pregnant after, after, her, after she has a baby, it typically that reduces. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you, could, you often start out on the same page. Soon, the woman's sex drive is typically much less than the man's. Typically. I, I've never known anybody who wasn't, but I did a class one time where... Where I we were doing a class on we were doing a class on family and uh, when we got to the sex class which was at the end of the class this girl one of the ladies raised her hand and said that she her sex drive was five times her husband's that was I'm sure there are so I know that there that there are some of that it's not that common yeah I meet with a lot of couples I think I've had it twice and yeah so like it's, it's not it's, stuff, it's not so. never but it's just not that common so yeah so the second part is you're 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 married. Mm-hmm. How would you recommend, or uh, for married couples to go about? I know it's sometimes it's it's easy to say, well, let's talk about it. But if you've never, if you're not used to talking about it, it feels crazy awkward. How do you recommend that initial conversation? Or I'll read a book. Somebody into I'd read a book together in bed at night would be a great way. Like if you're really embarrassed about talking about it, I'd like. There's a book called um, Sheet Music. It's you know under the sheet music. It's a great book written by a doctor. That's what it's called. Yeah, music. it's called Sheet Music. It's really a great book if you're married. Don't read it if you're not married. Obviously, it's talking about the sex act, everything about sex. The book is everything about sex, how to have sex, what to do, what not to do. So it's, it's very graphic. It's written by a doctor, graphic, that kind of graphic. Sex therapist, graphic. It's not, not a porn book, but I mean, it could, could stimulate you that way if you're not married. It's not a great book to read if you're not married. But I mean, that book, like, uh, we read a couple of books together, like we read it in, book, in bed, like she'd read a chapter to me and I'd read a chapter to her. It's a great way to start the conversation because like, okay, someone just told you about something about sex. Obviously, the whole book's about sex. So it stimulates conversation. You'd be like, oh, I would never do that or I don't feel good about that or, you know, you know it's, it's, um, it's, like, it's like sitting with somebody stimulating the conversation. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great way to start. And what would you say to couples that I, I have this on occasion when one, uh, one person in the marriage really wants to invite somebody in to their relationship because they want help and the other person really doesn't want to do that? Yeah, you're talking about like a counselor or something? Yeah, a counselor, a pastor. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's really difficult when, you don't, when you're nervous about talking about it with your partner that you're having sex with to invite someone like Chris Bellaton in your life to talk about it, you yeah, know. That is that is nervous. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think um, you know if the if the woman is afraid or doesn't like the person that maybe her husband is wanting to recommend, you know, let the woman choose yeah. whoever she feels comfortable with or vice versa. You know, the guy it's not Who is me. that? air raid the alarm everybody's looking at you now whoever that is never heard that before they'll figure it out hmm. anyway whoever whoever is um, nervous in the, the private person let them let them choose somebody that they would feel comfortable with that's awesome I know 
Does that drive me nuts? I thought I was the OCD it's person. Kind of got my curiosity going now. I just have never heard it before. I think it might be the projector. I'm not sure. That's my guess, but it's all right. We'll work it out. The projector's telling you it's overheated or something. I, I don't. I'm just taking a guess. I don't know what it is. All right, we'll keep we'll keep working at it. All right. Uh, when we talk about, can you guys stay you guys focused, okay? or do you want to? Shall we stop? Okay. Thank you. Keep going. Here's the deal. Okay. It is driving me slightly insane. <laughs> um, all right, I'm going to get through it. We talk about uh, reasons, reasons to say, gosh, I can't think. Hold on. <laughs> Disagreement. Here's the question we get a lot. Now, I have an answer for this question. I'm going to see if we have the same answer. Okay. I, we might. I don't know. We get the question every year when we have talked about relationships when it comes to people that aren't married yet, and they go, what about my call? Should my call match up to the other person's call? Go. I, I don't think there's one answer to that question. I don't either, but... I, I think that generally when you come into a marriage, you lay down your life for one another. That's what makes marriage work. So, you know, if, if like I... Oh my goodness. If I, um, if I have a call, let's say I've called to Africa or some radical thing, it's like it's really going to make a huge difference. Like we are not going to have a normal marriage, normal marriage, because we're going to be in the jungles of Africa. I'm like, and I feel like, let's say I had heard the voice of God and he, you know, walked through the wall and talked to me, and it's like, there's like, like, this has actually been confirmed five times. It's like, it's actually what we're going to be doing. It's like, yeah, that makes a huge difference. That makes a huge difference. You know, what I like to happen is I like both people to come in the marriage and lay down their life and see what they get to pick up when it's over. That's what I like to happen. I, I mean, I think, and I, I don't think that can happen always. I just explain why. But I think it's best when we come I come with my stuff, I lay it at your feet. You come with your stuff, you lay it at my feet. This isn't a marriage thing, but I think this is a great example. When I took over um, Heaven in Business, Danny Soap was leading it, and Andy Mason was one of the people, one guy that I, I inherited. So Andy comes into my office day one. Danny, we, we switched leadership from... Thank you. We, so Andy was, you know, Danny was leading Andy... And so now this, this next week, I'm leading him. He walks in my office, and I say to Andy, um, okay, so what's your vision? He hands me a black, blank piece of paper that already had a signature and said, here's the, here's, you're my leader, fill it in, that's my vision. That's how we started. Now, by the end of that meeting, he'd filled in 90% of that paper, and I'd filled in 10%, because my vision is to make sure your vision happens. But something happens when you lay down your life for somebody, and then you, then you get back what God gives you back. Yeah. So, you know, my, I, you know I, I understand, I just said, it can't always be that way, but to me, that's the most beautiful place, is when two people come, and you're like, I, I, you know what I'm here to do? I'm here to lay down my life for you. And she's like, well, that's what I'm here to do. It's like, all right, let's see where Jesus takes us. What you can't do, though, is try to change somebody. Yeah. Let's say, um, let's say you marry a policeman on the streets of Chicago. 
That's a really good point. You know, you know that every time your husband walks out that door, he may not be walking back in, you know, to say, honey, I'm home. And you have to be able to reconcile that. You know, can you as a wife live with a husband that is in a high-risk job? Or what about um, if your main job is a housewife and your husband is a doctor and he's on call night after night after night after night? You know, is that something that you can handle? Because what you can't do is you can't, you can't put it back on him or you can't put it back on her. I can't handle this. I can't do this. I can't have you gone all night. That's something that you need to kind of talk up, you know, talk. You're saying like before. you married into it, like yeah, that's, you that's married, already you married going. into it. It's like you can't, you can't. Ex I don't think you can expect somebody to change. Um, I think that it's a conversation you need to have beforehand, because um, at least you need to calculate it in that you married into that. And right. so if so, I I think the word expect is true. I think that it may have to change. It may have to. But I think to expect that you're going to be able yeah, to change somebody, that it's not fair. It's not fair to the other person. But that's definitely a conversation that needs to happen before, um, you know, you say, I do. Did you agree with that? I do. So I, I think no, it's about you, but my, my honest opinion is probably more often than not, it's the second part of your question mm -hmm. rather than the Africa yeah. part of your question. Yeah. So because most of the people that I look at in their in their marriage what they're what they're doing when they're 50 or or even 40 is not what they thought they were going to be doing totally. when they're 20 that's oh, the yeah. point so yeah. never ever did we think we were going to be pastors i mean my goodness <laughs> if you would have if you would have really if you would have never ever 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 in my life did i think chris would have ever written a book just because that's not where behind every great man is a surprised wife I mean, he, he barely passed high school. He didn't oh, even yeah. read until, he didn't even read a book until I think his last year of high school. No, no. And he I read on read a, a third grade school. level. He never completed a book. And, you know, to think that he would be doing what he's doing now, never, ever. We thought we'd be in business all our life. He thought he'd be a mechanic all his life. So, you know, that whole decision when Bill, or when Chris asked me that day, Bill wants us to lay down everything, sell our house, and move to Reading to start a school of ministry. I mean, that was a huge, that was really hard for me. Super hard because my heart was, you know, it was in Weaverville. I thought we were going to, you know, marry off all our kids and die in Weaverville. Never did I think of moving here and doing something different. So, I mean, that was something that we had to talk about then. Yeah. You know, when that... I was so ready to be out of Weaverville. And I was so not. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we were as far as east was from the west in that decision. Yep. But I won. Because I was right again. God spoke to me, honey. I know. Just being funny. It did. It was an audible, audible voice. That's all. Let me ask you one question. Uh, kind of going back. You talked about you know, you, you fell in love with Kathy when you were young. I didn't fall in love with Kathy. Uh, let's talk about that. I grew in love with Kathy. She fell in love with I me. I fell in love with Chris. <laughs> I had fallen in love before with girls, but I did not fall in love with Kathy. 
I grew in love with Kathy. You know what impressed me the most about Kathy? I actually could be myself around her, and actually she enjoyed me being me, which every other girl I dated, remember, I was 15 when I met Kathy, so this is all kid stuff. But every girl I was with before that, which is probably since I was 12, was all, it was always like you, you work to impress the girl, you know, you do everything, it's all about the girl. That's what I did. And I met Kathy, and it's like, you know, because I didn't fall in love, I just was me. And she liked me for me. And so, and I, I thought, and the more I was with her, the more I like, you know what? I actually enjoy being around this girl. Like, you know, I don't have anxiety when I'm around her. I'm not, I'm not trying to, like, pretend I'm someone else, which is really hard to keep that up. So, you know, for me, you, know, you guys know me, right? I'm like Mr. Authentic. Try, you know, try to put me in a box of trying to perform for somebody. Gosh, that just doesn't work at all. So, you know, I, so the more I was around Kathy, the more I enjoyed being around her. And the more I, I, I enjoyed being around her, the more I loved her. So by the time we got married, I, was, I would say I was crazy in love with her. Mm-hmm. But I didn't start that way. I actually, I know, I liked her, obviously. Can you talk about the difference? Plus well, she had a nice body. Just... Which I was 15. I mean, attraction is a very important part yeah. of the process. Uh, Talbot, one of the questions is, uh, you talk about love. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that, huh? Sorry. No. I know. It's all right. It's good. Um, you talk about this. I think Danny talks about it for sure, is, is love is a choice that you make. Um, one of the questions is, is love a choice or, or can it be a feeling as well? I'm going to ask. It's, it's probably both. Can you talk about the differences between the choice mm-hmm. and the feeling? You go first. It's really scary when love is a feeling um, because that feeling is going to disappear. And when that feeling disappears... In different seasons. In different seasons of your life, if, if your whole attraction is based upon an ooey-gooey feeling, and that disappears, now what? What's holding your relationship together? And that's just, that's really scary. Love isn't a feeling. Love, love is a commitment. Love is an experience. Love is a great feeling, but it's not the only part about it. It affects your feelings, but it's not the only thing. So some of, some of the, I think some of the times I grew in love. Well, I'll give you an, I'll give you a, 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 an example of something that's just, it's kind of silly, but some of the things that cause you to grow in love with a person are things that you have to go through an experience with somebody with. For instance, when we had our businesses, he, he ran, he ran the front part of the business. I ran all the accounting stuff and I made a mistake in the checkbook one day and I entered Instead of entering in a check, I entered the check in as a deposit, which was a double whammy because it looked like we had twice as much money in the account as what we did and really we had. And it was like a huge mistake. It was like a $25,000 mistake. And I was, I was so crushed. I mean, I, I, I figured out what I had done wrong, spent time with a banker, and went home and was just bawling. And I called Chris and told him what I had done. And... Bounced a bunch of checks. Bounced a bunch of checks, had no money to cover it. It was horrible. And he came, he came home, and he just loved me th- 
through the whole thing. I mean, it was like, talk my emotions down. We're going to get through this. We've been through worse. It was a mistake. It was, I mean, everything that he could do just to help me through this point. And that's what, you know, that's what true love is. You know, most, I shouldn't say most, lots of people in that situation would have blown up and said, how could you have been so stupid and didn't you realize a $25,000 mistake? Didn't you know that there was a problem even, you know, in your checkbook looking at it? He, he didn't do any of that kind of thing. It was just there to support me, getting through the moment, not throwing me underneath the bus and not letting, letting me hang out there to walk through something alone because I made the mistake. But he took ownership of it too and just loved me through the whole thing. And so that's, that's what love is. You know, love love is love has actions behind it love has feet to it you can say i love you i love you i love you all day long with words but that's all they are is just words it's just air blowing in the you know something blowing in the wind but you actually put feet to something like that like what he did and that's like that showing what true love is and this you know probably it, all of you have probably felt the feeling of love and when you get married, you know, some days you wake up and, you know, I look over at Kathy and I have all these feelings like, oh, I'm so glad I'm married to you. Other days I wake up, I have no feeling at all. I don't worry about it at all because I made a choice to, and I made a covenant to be with this woman forever. And I know from, you know, now, obviously from 40 years of being married, but even before, I know that the feeling will come and go. We can watch, you know, uh, uh, you know a movie and all those feelings come back. I have, could be feeling nothing and be stimulated by a movie of watching two people be in love and realize that I'm really in love. Uh, and so I, I realize like the feelings come and go. It's, it's below the surface often. And I think that, you know, if you're taught that love is a feeling, then when the feeling leaves, you're like, oh my God, if my marriage is going to be over, what's going to happen? That's like, I don't even, I don't even think like that. I just, you know, I, you know, I love my children. When my children aren't, aren't when, when they're young and they're misbehaving, I am not at that moment feeling a lot of love towards you. But I know that, I know that if anything happened to you, there was nothing I wouldn't do to, 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 you know, to fix it. You know? So, yeah, so I, I think that love affects your emotion, but love isn't an emotion. Let me, we, we have like 15 more minutes, so let me ask you a couple quick things. Okay. We'll see how many we get to. But um, you mentioned sex being the number one killer. Mm -hmm. of marriages number two probably uh, from what i've read is is money money so there's a question you faced many financial challenges mental oh, yeah. challenges as well what gave you the strength to continue in marriage uh, you've shared your story probably lots of times if you can do the quick version you came here with with debt that 1.8 million 1.8 million dollars in debt my mistake talk to me about how how marriage works through through crisis like that well so i'm the you can probably figure out i'm the driven visionary guy i'm the guy that always wants to grow 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 everything and kathy likes stability you know pretty common kathy likes stability security she's like you know if we live in a, a million dollar house or we live in a hundred thousand dollar house i don't care i don't really care i just want stability and i want security and i'm like um, you know, like, we need to climb another mountain. Like, let's go climb another mountain. And she's like, well, what, what, what would be the purpose of that? I don't, I don't know. I don't think like that. So I think conquer, kill, build. 
That's how I think. So, you know, our business, we had a really good business, and I just kept growing it and growing it and growing it, and we outgrew our capital, and we kept grow still growing, and, you know, and you have to, you know, we make decisions together. So we made all those decisions together, but I would say, no, there's no question. I was the driving force behind those questions. So when our business crashed, it was really easy. You know, obviously, obviously the reason our business finally crashed wasn't our fault, it, but it still, still happened. And, um, and I had put our house up for collateral. I put everything we owned up for collateral. Like, put, push all the chips in the middle. That's how I live life. And so, you know, and I, Kathy agreed to all of that. It wasn't like I secretly, it's like, no, no, we did it all together. Everything we own, we own together. We both sign on everything. Every car we own, we own together. We own everything together. So it wasn't like I made the decision, but it was like, I'm, I'm the one in that area who's driving that. So when it crashed, she never one time said, you know, if you wouldn't have da-da-da, you know, we wouldn't have lost our house. It was, we never had a conversation like that. I, I don't even, I, I would, I, I, you're free to say, but I don't think she ever thought that way. Because mm -hmm. it's not how we think. So, yeah, it was really hard. It was, it was really hard. And actually, the way it finally ended, you know, we, you know, Kathy, we got up one morning, we were living in this little apartment. We had no money. I mean, the way we were eating is people were giving us money at Bethel. Because we didn't have, we didn't have an income when we came to Bethel, so we had no income for a, almost a year, yeah. and, and, and our business crashed, which we didn't know was going to happen. So I mean, we were just literally like no money for anything, and we hadn't lived like that, you know. So um, so one morning, Kathy woke up. We woke up and we're laying in bed, and she said, I, "I'm done with business. I can't do it anymore. I'm. I, I don't mind if you continue, but I can't continue." And I'm like, "Me continue by myself?" How the heck could I ever do that? You know, I don't have the tools to run a business by myself. So that was it. That was the last day. That, that day was the day. You know, we, uh, that week we closed our business. That week we went in and started dealing with all the banks, you know, and all of our suppliers. And, but, I mean, it was actually Kathy's decision. She said, I'm done. And I'm like, I, there's no, we're a team. And there's no way I could run a business. By, I mean, we had... Five, four locations and 40 employees. I mean, I can't run a business by myself. So, you know, that was the end of it. And I didn't disagree with her. I was like, I probably would have gone a longer because, I, you know, I fight. I don't quit. She doesn't quit either, but obviously bad situation, tough situation. So, yeah, so that happened, and then it was tough. And we were, you know, Kathy's super frugal. Like, Kathy can live off of nothing. You know, I, I think I've told the story before, but if I haven't, you know, when, when things were tight in our business, not, not re, you know, like we weren't bankrupt or anything, but I mean, things were tight as we were growing. I remember coming home one night. Mm -hmm. I came home. I usually come home at s around 6. Well, that night, for, for whatever reason, we got the cars done. And I, I got home at, at 5, you know, and it was already dark. It was wintertime. So I pull in the driveway, and I'm like, where's my family? All the lights are in the house are off. And it was snow on the ground. So, it, like, we lived on this little hill. So I come up over the hill, and I'm like, none of the lights are on. They must be gone. Then I pull up, and I'm like, oh, the car, her car's here. Well, there's no way for her to go without, and we, our kids are really little. So I kind of like, that kind of freaked me out. No lights, car's there. Gosh, there's something wrong. So I get out of my car, and I come running up to our front deck, and, and it's like, it's, every, it's pitch dark. You can't even see the deck. So I open the door of my house, and in the front room, there's three little tents made out of, uh, made out of um, blankets. And I open the door, and they're like, Daddy, hi. And I'm still, my heart's still like pounding. I'm like, what are you, what are you guys doing? Go, we're camping. 
and there's, there's two little lanterns in there, in the house. And the wood stove's keeping the house hot. And Kathy comes running out of the kitchen. She's like, what are you doing home so early? You're not supposed to be home this early. What, what are you, why are you home? I, I'm like, I don't know. I'm hour early. She's like, what are you, why are you here? And she's, I'm like, following. I'm like, what is going on here? And so we, she walks out on the front deck where our, our power, you know, the Bing power uh, circuit board, circuit, circuits are, and a circuit breaker is. And she runs out, she's, she's walking really fast, and she's just like, what are you doing home? I, don't, I didn't expect you, you're not supposed to be home for another hour. I'm like, I'm, what the crap is going on here? Like, I'm still in panic mode, like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, she's just not making any sense, and opens the, 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 the you know, that, the gray box, and flips the main power switch on, and everything comes on. I'm like, what are, wait, stop. Stop. Talk to me. <laughs> She's like, well, things have been really tight, so I turn off the electricity during the day, and we play camping. And then before you come home, a half an hour before you come home, I flip it on so everything will be comfortable when you get home. I said, well, how long have you been doing that? She said, I don't know, a month or two? <laughs> I mean, this is what you do to make it work. My wife has got my kids in little tents. So we're not spending money on electricity so that she doesn't have to ask for more money. I mean, to me, that's a metaphor of our whole life. That's how we live. I can't tell you how many times I've told that story to, you know, husband and wife come in and it's like, my husband doesn't da-da-da-da-da. I go, let me tell you this little story. This is the way... You do marriage. When things are tough, you get tougher. You work it out. When money's not there, you pray a lot, you stay generous, and you figure out how you can live on as little as possible until the season ends. Because if, if, if you don't have a poverty spirit, it will end. You have to push through it. Everybody has to push through it. And you learn what you can when you're in the middle of it. Yeah. I remember the next month, Gosh, this was a really tight season. We weren't going broke. It was just a tight season because we were growing so fast. I remember our girls coming down. They had a piggy bank. And we're sitting at dinner, and our two girls, Jamie and Shannon, come down. They must have been like seven and eight or something. And they're like, Daddy, we want to give you the money we've been saving. I'm like, man, that's thing, those things are priceless. Like, You've got to go through stuff together as a family. The kids need to know things are tight so they understand when they, when they have their own family that it's not always easy. But when things are hard, you pull together as a family. You don't fight about it. You pull together and you figure out what's the best way to work through a hard situation. Because those times will come. You know, life is, you know, it's not all peaches, you know. Life is tough. So, um, you know, you work through it. You press through it. You doesn't do what good is it to get mad at each other how, how does that help or you know i wish it was better i gosh i can't make it on this amount of money it's like i don't know what to say you know that's what we have so get creative. let's be creative let's let's work it out and kathy you know i i think i'm the same way but kathy's always been like that that she just makes the best out of the hardest situations and we have 
you know, there's people who have been through worse. You know, you always think you have it hard and you meet someone else and you, oh my God, I've never even, I don't even know what I'd do about that. But you know, those hard times, they either bond you or break you. I'll tell you this the truth. When you're in a marriage or even a relationship with our team, same thing, we've been through a lot together. It's like, when you go through a hard time, it either bonds you or it breaks you. I think those hard times, those are the times that actually that actually create foundations for the rest of your life. How you deal with your hard times. Because in the good times, you don't even know if your relationship's good when you got tons of money and everybody's having fun. It's like, oh, we got a great relationship. You know, it's the Instagram relationship. I love what what Eric said the other day. It's so true. When you're in a fight with your wife, no one ever puts that on Instagram. When your kid comes home, you know, know, screwed up, you know, no one puts, oh, Johnny screwed up today. And he got, look, he got an F on his report card. And it, it creates this... Un, you know, social media has created an unrealistic life that people m- measure themselves by Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you know, snap, all this Snapchat, all these crazy things. Like, people always, like, you look at them like, oh, they're so happy. No, no, there's nobody that happy. <laughs> you know, I have counseled the best people in the world. Nobody's always happy. Everybody has challenges and problems. And you can't buy yourself out of lots of challenges in life. You know? So, yeah. Good? That's great. We have three minutes. I'm going to ask you, was this good? Was this good for everybody? Really good? Here's... I know, I know Chris likes to teach, but we might do this again because it's really fun. And, and uh, part, like it. Of, part of it for me is, um, I mean, I've told you this before, but, you know, I probably learned more, more from great leaders in my life uh, off stage, you know, than from their teaching. And uh, this is something that just from my heart, I, I love these two people. Really, I, I, I joke with them, you know, but they are my, my family here. And, you know, Chris and Kathy have done more for me than, than probably anybody else in this environment. And uh, what I get to experience is these things at their house on a trip, a ride to the airport, those things that I want to bring everybody in that car ride to the airport, but I can't. Mm-hmm. So, we, so we try to do these, these for you. But I'm going to ask Chris and Kathy if they'd pray for us before, before we dismiss today. And, uh, and just bless us. And, is that all right? Yeah. Let's all stand together. Christopher President. <laughs> now, that is one thing I would never want to do. Can you imagine? I don't know, with Donald Trump, you know. You can tell the truth and people still vote for you, I guess. That picture doesn't have a beard or mustache on it either, does it? It's because it's, it's turning white, and you can't... Totally, yeah. See that. No, I don't mean mean. I was just... Yep. You should pray. All right, yeah. go. <laughs> I think you stood up in the theater, didn't you? And preached, didn't you? Who he did. Way to go. That was fun. It was better than the movie. Okay. You start. The movie was great. Father, I just thank you that we can do family together. Lord, I thank you that you are the ultimate example. But Father, that you manifest yourself through others. And Lord, thank you, Jesus, for God, all the people that poured into our lives, all the people that stopped what they were doing just to Grab on to Chris and I. And Father, I thank you for the difference that it's made in our lives. 
And Jesus, I just pray that there would be a release of people in this room that would be able to reach out to others, to be able to mentor them, to be able Mm -hmm. to partner with them. And Father, that they in turn would be able to open up their heart to allow other people to speak into their lives. Father, for husbands and wives, Jesus, I just pray that there would be a new release of of intimacy in their relationship. Yeah. Father, not just sexual go out, God, but um, the actual ability to be able to talk and to be able to communicate, to be able to open up and share their hearts with one another. And Lord, I just pray for the singles. God, that to you get would. <laughs> Sorry, I was helping. Father, that you would bring them into a season of just being able to, not just to know who they are, but, Father, to meet their woman or their man of their dreams. Mm-hmm. Lord, I pray that this would be the season of, of finding their, their mates, finding just mm-hmm. people that they can connect with. And, Father, that whatever fears or whatever walls are being put up around these men and women, God, I just pray they'd be crashed to the ground. Father, that you would remove totally. them. Father, so that they would really be able to see through through your eyes. Yeah. Father, they would be able to find their connections. They would be able to find their partners in mm-hmm. life. And, Lord, I just pray that this would be um, just uh, the beginning of a new season for each one of them. Yeah. Yeah, Lord, I just, I just bless this time. I just pray for an awakening to happen in us, God that you would awaken love in us, that you would awaken passion in us. God, I pray for the married couples that, Lord, wherever there's conflict or issues, that you would help them, that today would just be the day of reconciliation and that that there really would be a common ground and that thing would be uh, talked through, worked through. And Lord, I pray that there would just be such such a desire to have a healthy relationship in here, that it would be greater than a life call, that it be greater than uh, than a desire for stuff. That to be in a have a life have a lifetime companion, Lord, I just bless that that idea that I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna be in covenant with someone forever, and I'm gonna do life with somebody forever. God, I just release that desire, that natural desire to to, to make a home, to make a house a home, to build a family. Lord, I just release that in Jesus' name over people. And I pray wherever it was, wherever that was broken or abused, maybe the way we were raised, whatever, and we, we, we said, we're, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to have children. I'm never going to be like my, the home I grew up in. Lord, I pray that, that you would instill in them that this is, a, this is a promise, a yes and amen. This is, this is your life. This is your, this is your beautiful life. And it doesn't have to be the way it was. Your past has nothing to do with your future. Lord, I just release people from their past, from past abuses and past broken families and past irreconcilable relationships. Lord, I just release them into the beauty of a covenant. In Jesus' name, amen.